You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, appreciate those testimonies, and that really does mean a lot. It's good for a church family to hear those things from each other. Deuteronomy chapter 32 is where we'll be, and we're just going to read um, about five verses here, and then we'll, do, we'll come back to them here in a little bit. But Deuteronomy 32, it says in verse 48, so toward the end of the chapter, this is at the end of Moses' life. And uh, just want to start with a few verses here and then it'll lead into a thought tonight that I hope will be a help this time of year. It says in verse 48, And the Lord spake unto Moses that selfsame day, saying, Get thee up into the mountain Abiram unto Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, that is over against Jericho, and behold the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel for a possession." And die in the mount whither thou goest up, and be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother died in Mount Hor, and was gathered unto his people. Because ye trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, because ye sanctified me not in the midst of the children of Israel, yet thou shalt see the land before thee, but thou shalt not go thither unto the land which I give the children of Israel." You say, Pastor, you choose the most encouraging texts for a new year. And I know this, this is, these are some sad verses. They really are. Some of the saddest in the Bible. But I do think there's a lesson to be learned from Moses' life that I hope that we can get tonight. Uh, go ahead and be seated. Thank you for standing. And we'll jump right in here. I read a book a number of years ago by uh, an author named John Maxwell. Maybe you've heard of John Maxwell. He he writes a lot of books on leadership and things like that. And he wrote a book called 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And it was a helpful book in terms of leadership for sure. But he used an illustration uh, that I think that I apply in a lot of ways. And it's always really stuck with me. He, he told this story about a group of researchers that did a study on fleas. You know, the little, the little insects, fleas. And they took a, uh, some fleas and they put them in a jar and put a lid on the jar. And, and as most of us know, fleas can jump, um, in terms of what I understand, they can jump many, many, many times their body height. So one, somebody said 50 times their height. I don't know for sure if that's accurate. It would seem accurate to me. They can jump really high. So they, they were jumping inside of this jar with a lid on it. And they kept hitting the, the lid when they jumped. So after a few days, the researchers observed a little bit more. And, and they noticed that the fleas had learned the limitation of where the lid was. And they had adjusted how high they were jumping to, so that they were no longer hitting the lid when they would jump. It sounds like a strange story, but I mean, John Maxwell said it. I believe it. So sometime later... They then they took the lid off the jar. Maybe you've heard this before. They took the lid off the jar and the fleas continued to jump at the adjusted height. And although the jar was open, they never jumped out of the jar. 
Because they had gotten used to the height of the lid. And I, and I use that illustration tonight, and I'm just going to just try to get through this this evening. But I'm, I use that illustration because we're coming up on the new year. And there are a lot of people that make New Year's resolutions, and they're determining to, to meet some goal. And maybe you're doing that, or they're trying to accomplish something. But every year, it seems, doesn't it, like it brings the same frustrations in that you have these goals that you're trying to accomplish and you're trying to do these things and yet you're after maybe just a couple of weeks, you're frustrated because your goals have once again fallen by the wayside. And it's, and I very, I, I very strongly believe it's often because of the law of the lid. You know, the fleas in the jar have a lesson to teach us as frustrating as the law of the lid is when it comes to meeting personal goals. Maybe you've got some things in your life that you want to accomplish, but you always come to a certain lid. You come to a certain point where you just cannot overcome it. You can't master it. You can't get past it. And and our lids keep us from fulfilling things that we want to fulfill. They keep us from reaching goals that we want to reach. And, And as bad as the law of the lid is when it comes to meeting a personal goal, like losing weight or, or, or a, a goal at, at your workplace or a financial goal, as bad as the law of the lid is in those things, it's far, far worse on a spiritual level. See, our lids might keep us from fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. It's not just about, oh, I didn't make my goal or I didn't do what I wanted to do financially. I didn't save as much as I wanted to. No, if you have a lid, a spiritual lid in your life, then you will not be everything that God wants you to be for him. And that's why it it takes it to a whole different level spiritually when you're talking about lids. It's, It's so much more important because it keeps us from fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. And there's nothing sadder than that. And I, and I really believe that Moses' life gives us a glimpse into the impact that a lid can have on us accomplishing God's purposes. And I want to kind of give you three big truths about Moses that, that we all would agree are true and then apply them to ourselves. And the first is that God had big plans for Moses. God had big plans for Moses. And I, don't, and I don't need to give you the details. You know about Moses' life. Everyone in here, we're familiar with Scripture. But just as a reminder, he was rescued from the river as a Jewish boy and raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He was technically raised as an Egyptian. And as a grown man, um, one day he saw an Egyptian smiting one of his Jewish brethren. And he took matters into his own hands. And if you read the New Testament you find out that Moses actually thought that he could deliver Israel in that moment. He, he made an effort or an attempt to deliver Israel in his own strength, and it backfired. He found himself having to, to run and escape with just his life. He ran into the desert, and he stayed there. It says in the Bible that he was in the backside of the desert for 40 years. And at, at that point, you would have thought that Moses probably assumed that, that he was, he was, God was done using him. He's one of those guys, and we all know somebody like this. It seems like they have all the potential in the world, and yet their own limitations keep them from ever realizing the potential that they really have. You know somebody like that. I do too. But as we all know, then there are no lost causes with God. Aren't you thankful for that? 
I mean, when it comes to, 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 to God, uh, God, God is always able to overcome our failures and our weaknesses. And he comes to Moses there and through a burning bush, he calls him back to Egypt and he says, I want you to lead my people out of bondage. And at that point, again, Moses felt like his failures were going to keep him from doing what God wanted him to, that God could never work through him again. But he finds out that God's abilities are greater than our inabilities. And I'm grateful for that too, that God had planned for Moses to be the guy. Moses was the one that God wanted to use to bring the children of Israel out of bondage. God had big plans for Moses. So Moses goes back to Egypt and we again know the story. He confronts Pharaoh and then God sends the plagues. And after the miracle of the Red Sea, God delivers Israel and God delivers them through Moses' leadership. But, but God's plan wasn't just for Moses to bring him out of Egypt. He wanted Moses to take them into the promised land. That's what God wanted with, with, with Moses. He, he wasn't just saying, I want you to get them free. I want you to, I want the, you to lead them all the way into the promised land. That, that is what God intended for Moses. Can you imagine being the guy selected to do that? That God would choose you to preserve his people, to free them from slavery and to lead them to their homeland, to take them to the place where they can inhabit the land that they'd been promised hundreds of years earlier uh, to Abraham. And that's what God wanted for Moses. And even though when God came to him, Moses didn't see it. Moses, in, there in Exodus chapter 3, uh, when God comes and says, I want you to be the guy, Moses said, who am I? I mean, who am I that I should go into Pharaoh? Who am I that I should bring them out? Well, Moses was, felt like a nobody, and he felt like he had no place in the world. But God, that didn't matter to God. God wanted to use a weak vessel to make a big difference. God had big plans for Moses. But the second truth is this, is that God had equipped Moses with everything he needed to do what God had planned. So again, let me just say that again. The first big truth is that God had big plans for Moses. The second big truth is that God had equipped Moses with everything he needed to accomplish the big plans that God had for Moses. As inadequate as Moses considered himself, God had placed within him everything necessary to do the task. Think about Moses' qualifications. He was raised as an Egyptian so he could communicate with and relate to Pharaoh when it came time. He had received the finest education and he had been raised to lead. At the same time, he was a Jew and he had a heart for the Jewish people. He could relate to the Jewish people. And on top of that, he had spent 40 years in the desert being humbled. So he was completely dependent on God. So think about how equipped Moses was. He could relate to Pharaoh. He could relate to the Jews and he was wholly and completely dependent on God. He had everything needed to do this task. He was well qualified. He had all it took to accomplish God's plan. And again, though it wasn't about Moses, we have to be careful to assume that, well, God gave Moses all these abilities and Moses just had to do the job. No, God was still at work and that was obvious. I mean, God made sure that from the very beginning of Moses' life, God was the one that made sure Moses was found there in the bulrushes. God was the one that made sure he was raised in Pharaoh's uh, home and in the finest schools. God, God's hand protected him in the desert. God's power performed the miracles. Moses couldn't throw a staff on the ground and have it turn into a serpent. God was the one doing that. 
God's protection was what kept Israel safe during the plagues. God parted the water. And I know Moses may have stood there, but God parted the water. Uh, God destroyed Pharaoh and his army. God set up a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to lead them uh, to the promised land. God provided food and water in the wilderness. God made their clothes last for 40 years. God left no stones unturned. God had big plans for Moses, but it's obvious that God had also then set everything up for Moses to accomplish those plans. See, God doesn't call us, God doesn't call people that he doesn't equip. He equips the called. And he's obviously done that for Moses. He's given him everything that he needs to do what the, this big task is. But, but then we make a switch. We make a transition. And again, we're going through all kinds of history. We're skipping over many pages. We're just getting the overview um, like you did in school when you're just trying to get a book report and you just need like the main things. That's what we're doing here. But in one of the saddest twists of the Bible, one of those moments that leaves you scratching your head, when it came time for Moses to lead the people into Canaan, the children of Israel got to walk in, but Moses, all he got to do was watch. And so you've got truth number one, that God had big plans for Moses, but truth number two, and, and truth number two, that God had equipped Moses with everything he needed. But the, the truth, the big truth number three, the application we'll get to is that Moses had a moment that became his lid. Moses had a moment that became a lid. Like the fleas in the jar that he wasn't able to overcome because of a moment. And again, we already read these verses and how God comes to him. And the Lord speaks unto Moses and says, go up into that mountain. And, and he said, you're going you're gonna to go there and you're going to die in the mountain because you trespassed against me. Does anybody remember the, the instance or what happened with Moses? What kept him out of the promised land? Just somebody give me a summary. What happened? What happened? He struck the rock, right? Numbers 20, they're in the desert of Zin. They come to this place where there's no water. Well, it is the desert. So that's pretty, that's not a surprise. But with the children of Israel, you'd think it was always a surprise that something popped up that was difficult. Because they did what they were best at. And as soon as they encounter an obstacle, what do they start doing? What's the Bible word? Murmur. It's an onomatopoeia, which means that uh, there, it's a word that's based on the sound. And murmur, 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 murmur. I mean, literally, that is, that's what it is. That's, it took me a lot of study in the Hebrew, years of study to come up with that. They're murmuring again. That's what they do. So Moses and Aaron, they go to God and they say, God, what should we do? I mean, we don't have water. There's millions of these people. And and so Moses then, God tells him what to do. He says, I want you to speak to the rock. So Moses gathers them all together and, and, he, and he gets out his rod and he said, and I believe he did it in anger. He said, hear now ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And the Bible says he smote the rock, the rock twice with his staff in anger. You know what God immediately told Moses and Aaron? He didn't even wait. I mean, they're probably lapping up the water as God says this. Here's the words of God. Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. 
Moses committed a grave error, and it started with anger. And, and I just want to mention those of us that lead people and that represent God uh, to people that we're over, and we're trying to take them to certain places and lead them spiritually, we should never operate in anger. It's never pleasing to God, and yet I believe anger is a lid in many people's lives. Many people that are put in a position of leadership to lead their wives and men leave your, lead your homes and lead your families. Or if you're an employer, employer and you've got people under you, if you're in a position of spiritual leadership and maybe you teach a class and you've got people under you, you should never lead in anger. You should never, east side, we should never deal with each other in anger. It's a lid. I also believe he made the, the grave error of disobeying a direct command of God. God said, speak to the rock. He smote the rock twice. But I believe, it, and I think it's, it's clear in scripture, um, Moses' biggest mistake was unbelief. Because God said, because you believe me not. It was unbelief that, that was Moses' real lid. That was his biggest mistake. And unbelief is a huge sin in our lives. And we often overlook it and we think, well, pride, or I think my anger, or I think, you know, this sin, or lust, or, you know, my laziness, or my impatience, whatever it is. But many of those things can be traced back to, an, to our unbelief in God. And we're not going to look, we'll do, at some point, I'd love to look at, study that, and, and show you some of those things. But unbelief leads to so many other downfalls. And in this case, Moses and Aaron's unbelief caused them not to sanctify the Lord in the eyes of the people. And that would simply means that their, their behavior and their attitude in that moment uh, caused the children of Israel um, to not honor God. God wasn't sanctified. God wasn't honored. They didn't sanctify God or set him apart in the people's eyes. And my question is this. Though, can you imagine, it's almost a side note, but really it should be probably more central to it. But can you imagine having unbelief after all Moses had seen God do? I mean, can you imagine having unbelief that God, uh, in that moment, having unbelief, whatever the unbelief was about, can you imagine having unbelief after you had seen God speak to you through a burning bush and turn your rod into a serpent and, and, and cause all the plagues and, and part the Red Sea and, and for 40 years. And Numbers 20 is toward the end of Moses leading the people. He had made it almost all the way through the 40 years in the wilderness when he does this. And he has 40 years of God proving himself and yet he still has unbelief. It's a little mind-blowing. Well, look over Deuteronomy 34. This is, this is the end of it here. Deuteronomy 34, the first five verses. It says, verse 1, And Moses went up into the, from the plains of Moab into the mountain of, mountain of Nebo to the top of Pisgah, that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead, unto Dan and all Naphtali and, and all the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah and under the utmost sea and the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees and the Zohar. This should have been a momentous occasion in Moses' life, thinking, look at all that God's bringing us to. But then the Lord said, the Lord said unto him, this is the land which I swear unto Abraham and to Isaac and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I've caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Moses got to see it. He was close enough to almost touch it, 
but he didn't get to go in. And it was all because of one incident at a rock. His lid was a moment. And as unfair as it might seem, that one moment of unbelief kept him out of the promised land. God had all these plans for Moses. God had given Moses everything he needed to to do everything God wanted him to do. But Moses had a lid and it prevented him from entering into the promised land. At the end, he gave it all up. Moses' lid wasn't what we would expect. See, at the beginning, if you'd asked Moses what his lid was, you know what Moses would have said? It'd be my my inability to talk. That's what he said. Well, that's no, that's no problem to God. See, weaknesses are no problem to God. Weaknesses are not lids to God. Weaknesses are opportunities for God to show his glory through us. A weakness is not a lid. God can overcome it. But unbelief, that is a lid. Sin is a lid. Our decisions to not obey God, that is a lid. In other words, our unbelief is much bi- a much bigger issue than our weaknesses. And a lot of times we focus on our weaknesses and say, well, I could never teach a class because I don't have confidence in front of people. But what, we're re- what we really should be focusing on is I don't have enough belief to think that God can overcome my weaknesses and give me the ability to do that. So it's not about your weakness to not teach. It's about your unbelief to not let God have the opportunity to use you like he probably wants to. It's not about weaknesses. It's about our unbelief. And and that's what happened with Moses. God intended for Moses to reach the promised land. I truly believe that. But a lid of limitation kept him out. And it's tragic. So you say, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, I want to revisit the three truths and apply apply them to us. God has big plans for you. And God has given you every single thing that you need to accomplish his purposes for your life. But how you treat your lid will determine if you get to enjoy them or not. See, God has big plans for you. And and this is not a health and wealth, you know, name it, claim it message tonight, okay? Uh, I hope you'll see the difference. God has big plans for your life because he has big plans for all of his children. What are God's big, big plans for you? Well, it's easy. I'm just going to, I know God's will for your life. You say, oh, great, you're one of those preachers that, no, no. No, I know God's will for your life because I know God's will for every one of his children. And that is to be in the promised land. And by promised land, I don't mean heaven. I mean to live an abundant Christian life. It is God's will for every saved child of God to live in the promised land. To be an abundant Christian. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly in John 10. God didn't just just save you to take you to heaven. He saved you to live an abundant Christian life until you get to heaven. He saved you to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. To reflect Christ in every way possible. Romans 8.29 says God's plan is for his children to be conformed to the image of, of the son, God's son. I can tell you God's will for every one of us is to live in the promised land and walk with God and have an abundant Christian life and look like Jesus in our attitudes and in our spirit and in our behavior. You, you talk about big plans. God isn't concerned with our retirement accounts and our business success. He has a much higher target for you and that he wants you to be like his son, Jesus Christ. 
That's the ultimate pur- purpose of every, of every uh, child of God. God wants you in the promised land. So those are God's plans for your life. But not only that, God has equipped you. He's equipped us with every resource we need to get there. Uh, you say, well, I'm not really sure where to go. Well, you have a map. Right here, 2 Timothy 3.17 says that God's word is profitable that the man of, of God or the woman or the child of God may be perfect, which is complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God has given you what you need through his word to be all that you're supposed to be. We also have God's power in 2 Peter. Peter wrote that according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Everything that you need, God provides it. He's given us everything that we need. We even have a new nature in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So by giving us a new nature, God is saying, I have big plans for you. I've even given you the nature to accomplish them. You can have an abundant Christian life. You can be like my son, Jesus, and I've equipped you to do it. We also have all these other traits of God. We have his faithfulness. We have his goodness. We heard about some of those things tonight. Uh, we have his kindness to us. We have his guidance. We have his never-ending presence. And in addition to that, I don't want to forget this one. In addition to all that God has given you, uh, you also have this wonderful organism of growth called a local church. And through that church, he intends for you to become what you're supposed to be. Amen. Ephesians 4 gives us a great picture. It, it says all the roles in a church body exist. It says this, listen... For the perfecting or the completion of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. And the end goal, folks, in Ephesians 4. The end goal is the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Once again, we see God's design is for us to be like his son, Jesus Christ. And you know the organism that through which he wants to get you there is your local church. So, so don't assume that the church is, is a peripheral, peripheral thing. No, it's through the church that we grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. All, that's all found in Ephesians 4. That's our goal. That's our promised land, folks. The image of Christ is your abundant Christian life. And you have everything you need to get there. You've got God's word and you've got God's power. You've got God's presence and you have a local church body to help you. But there's something else that you have that works against you and that's a lid. Every one of us. And if you're like me, you have too many lids to count. But there's often one big one that might affect everything else. And even though God has big plans for you to be like his, his son, and even though God's equipped you to do so, your lid is less a lid. And tonight, maybe your lid feels more like a boulder. And it's absolutely crushing you. You can't get out from underneath it, and it's most certainly become your ceiling. And just like Moses, it keeps you out of the promised land. It keeps you from being all you're supposed to be. And I don't mean heaven. I mean the abundant Christian life. I mean the image of Christ. Your lid is your, your limitation. And it's going to keep you from being what God wants you to be. And so let me just say it again. You've, God has big plans for you, and God's given you every resource that you need to meet, to meet those plans and fill the, fulfill those purposes. But how you, determine, how you treat your lid will determine if you ever get there or not. See, first things first, you say, well, okay, how do I treat my lid? Well, I think some in here, we need to first start with identifying our lid. 
See, a lot of times we think that we're something we're not. And we've never taken an accurate view of what we really are or what we really are, what's really holding us back. And I think 2021 might be a good year for us to just stop everything and identify our lid. To determine what really keeps me from being all I'm supposed to be for Christ. See, what's, real, what's the biggest limitation for you in your relationship with God? Is it complacency? Because I, I mean, I know we can all get complacent when it comes to our walk with God. We've been doing it for so long and we maybe lose some of the novelty. Is it unbelief? I mean, have you, have you asked God for things that he hasn't granted you and your, your faith is shaken or your faith is weakening? Is it laziness in that you know you ought to, but you just can't make yourself get out of bed in the morning and do it? Is it bitterness against God? And you say, well, I'm not bitter against God. No, all bitterness is against God. And maybe there's something in your past or in your life that you haven't been able to forgive. And that is your lid when it comes to your relationship with God. Because you know there's something in your life. Maybe there's a lust. Maybe there's a sin. Maybe there's a bad habit that you just can't seem to break. Or maybe there are some things you don't want God to confront you about. Because you know it will be a painful process. So you just ignore it. And it's become a lid when it comes to your relationship with God. What's the biggest hindrance in your relationship with other people? Is it pride? Well, that's, 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 that happens a lot. Somebody's pride won't let them just humble themselves when they're dealing with other people. And you know, the Bible says only by pride cometh contention. And if you constantly in your life, in every interaction, there's contention with other people, then, I mean, it's a pretty easy diagnosis that very likely that pride is, is, is how you're operating. It's leading you about. Is, is pride the biggest lid in your relationship with other people? Husbands and wives, is there pride between you and you, neither of you wants to give in? Boy, I know, it's, it's tough. But marriage is about humility. Humbling yourself. Is it anger? Is that why you can't get along with other people? Is that your lid when it comes to your relationship with other people? Are you, are you angry and you just fly off the handle? Is there unforgiveness in your life or your heart between you and somebody else? Is there a lack of communication? Maybe that's your lid and you just won't open up and you just won't really talk to somebody and, and be yourself. Is there a lack of confidence in your life or what, what, what's the most common failure in your service to God? And, uh, and at Eastside here, here at Eastside Baptist Church, is there a lack of faithfulness? Is that your lid? As, I mean, I'm just, I'm just th- talking transparently tonight. I mean, we've got people in our church that should be doing a lot more, but they, they're, they're not qualified to do more because they lack faithfulness. And there's, I mean, you're, there's a lid there, and I wish you could see it because I want God to do so much more with you. There are people in our church that could be leaders in our church and doing so much more for God. And God, like Moses, has given them, he has big plans for them, and he's placed within them everything they need to be that person. But they just can't seem to be faithful. Is your lid that you may be here at Eastside, you don't serve like you should because there's some hurt feelings in the past? Well, that, that hinders people. And you say, well, we're above that. Well, no, we're not. We're human. And hurt feelings can be our lid. Is there, uh, in your life, when it comes to service, is there just a lack of concern? 
about God's work? Or do you, maybe you don't have confidence like we were talking about earlier. What's your lid when it comes to serving? Why aren't you more, why aren't you more involved? Why aren't you more faithful? Why don't you have more responsibilities? And it may not even be spiritual. I mean, maybe it's a lid at your job. One thing you need to do that would make the biggest difference at work and you just can't seem to break through it. Maybe you're a student and there's a big project and that's your lid and you just can't get through it and you just need to finish it or there's a habit you need to break in order to get more done. Maybe it's a personal goal. And if you're trying to get into better shape, what's the single biggest lid of limitation? You've got to identify it before you can fix it. What's holding you back in your career? What's, what's holding you back in your family, in your finances, in, in your physical life? And especially, though, tonight in your spiritual life. You must identify your lid or you'll never conquer it. You must name it. Know what it looks like. Recognize when it's most likely to show up. And let me give you some, some free advice here tonight. It might be good for you for people in in this church, in this room, to ask someone that knows you to name your lid for you. You say, well, that's just radical stuff. (laughs) Well, maybe, but you know, there's this thing, Matthew 7, there's a beam and a moat, and self-deception is prevalent in the life of God's people. And we think we can see things clearly, but we really don't. And if we were just to simply humbly humble ourselves and go to somebody that we trust, somebody that we know that loves us and would be honest with us and say, listen, this is really hard for me to do, but can you help me identify my lid? What's my lid? What's keeping me from being the husband I ought to be? What's keeping me from being um, the leader at Eastside Baptist Church that I ought to be? What's, what's keeping me from having more influence, uh, ladies, with the ladies at Eastside? What, what's keeping me, a uh, teenager, what's keeping me from having a real close relationship with my parents that I really want, but I just struggle with? What's keeping me from that? Ask somebody that you, that you know, that you trust, and that loves you and say, would you help me identify my lid? And what you hear might be shocking Because self-deception is an obvious thing in the lives of God's people. And we think, well, yeah, it's obvious in all their lives. But self-deception can be obvious in our lives, too. Maybe it's time to ask somebody to help you identify the lid. And once you've identified the lid, the second thing is, this is so simple, develop a plan to remove it. Attack it. If your lid is your prayer life, then choose a specific time and place that you're going to pray every day. And, and, and I'm encouraging you to set measurable, achievable goals. Some people go overboard and they say, I need to pray. And so I'm going to determine to pray for three hours and I want to be done before 530 every morning. You know, half of you are like, yeah, so I do that every day. What? I mean, No. I mean, would it be great if we prayed for three hours every morning and sought God and really found his face and, and had that kind of relationship? Absolutely it would. But if you have a pattern of five years of not praying at all, the chances of you praying for three hours a day right off the bat are probably pretty low. So when I say achievable and measurable, I'm saying just start with five minutes. Because five minutes of prayer and communication with God is better than none at all. 
So start there. Start small. Start in something attainable and say, okay, listen, I've got this lid and this is something I really need to overcome and I want to attack this lid and I want to remove this lid, but I need to do something realistic and measurable and achievable and then adjust from there. A great way to remove a lid is, again, to get somebody else involved in it. Maybe you tonight will say, yes, I've identified the lid. I know what's holding me back. I know what's really hurting me in this area, but I really need some accountability. And so what you have to do, again, it sounds radical, but I'm telling you, the the church families that have this kind of transparency with each other, in my experiences, are the strongest church families I've ever been around. And that is that you can be honest with each other, open about your, your shortcomings. You're willing to just say, now listen, I've failed in this area. Would you help me? Give somebody else permission to get involved in your life on a daily basis. Be honest with somebody. Tell them where you're at. Say, this is my lid. I need your prayers. I need your help. And I need your counsel. And here's the big one. You say, I want you, I give you permission right now to ask anytime you ever want to. You have my permission to ask me how I did with, if it's your prayer life, if I prayed this morning, you can ask me anytime you want. And then when they come and they ask you, then you get all huffy and walk away and get mad. That's kind of what happens sometimes. But if you want, to help, you want help to attack and remove a lid, maybe it's time to be honest with somebody that you know and you trust and that you know that they love you and say, would you please help me? Because if I don't accomplish this, this lid is going to keep me from ever being what I'm supposed to be for God. If your lid is how you respond to certain situations, make it impossible or very undesirable to respond by doing something, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, by doing something incompatible. Listen, if your lid is your anger, then you just make a decision. No, if I walk away, I can't get into an argument. It's incompatible behavior, and it's not necessarily solving the issue of the heart, but it does put, put, take you out of the position where you might express your anger and get into a fight with somebody. If your response is to worry, put yourself in a, in, a, in a position where you can't be thinking about what you're worried about. And that's such a simple concept, but God's people need it, is that sometimes, you know, if you're just a worry word, what you ought to do is memorize and quote a passage like Philippians 4. And if you sit and you try to quote that without looking at it, by the time you get done with it, you'll forget what you were worried about. If, you're, if your lid is being on time... And I was looking through some job, uh, applica- job, res- or job listings this week, not because I'm looking for a different job. Don't <laughs> make it clear. Olivia is looking for a new job in Oklahoma City, and we were looking through some. And you know, I cannot tell you how many times I saw under a job listing, if you can't be on time, don't apply. Brother Chad, is that important? If you can't be on time, don't even apply. You know, I think, that's a, I think it's a major issue in our culture. And what's interesting to me is that people, you know, we, if we're, we're going to be on time to work, I mean, to be on time for church? Which is way more important, folks. I mean, you, you young couples just getting married and, you know, enjoying life. Uh, if Brother Chad's waiting on you to start class for 10 minutes every Sunday... You know, don't, don't be that couple. Set a standard. And he hasn't even, he hasn't even told me that's happening. But there, there, there's glass in the door. So anyway, 
I can see. Don't be that couple. And what you say, well, then what do I do? That's our lid. I think that's affecting our leadership. Well, set something up that costs you if you're late. And tell another couple in the class, listen, every time we're late to Sunday school, we have to pay you $5. That'll adjust your time schedules really quick, won't it? I know that sounds silly, but what I'm trying to get you to do is to see that if you have a lid, you've got to take some steps to attack your lid. Or guess what? In 2021, December 31st, 2021, if we gather that week of the New Year's, guess what we'll be talking about? The same lids we're talking about tonight. Because you didn't take the time to identify it, and you didn't take steps to attack it. And every year people make New Year's resolutions. Every year most people never see them accomplished. And I believe it's because of these two things. They don't identify the real lid. And they don't come up with a plan to attack the lid. And listen, I want you to fulfill God's, God's purposes for your life. And I want you to be in the promised land. I think you do too. But you won't do it if you can't get past your lid. It reminds me of Hebrews 12. When it says, uh, you know, that life is like, or basically life is like a race. And if we're going to run the weight race, what do we have to do? We have to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. You know what the writer knew? The writer knew that a runner can't, if a runner doesn't take steps to, um, to cast off limitations, he won't reach the finish line. You can't run a race with a ball and chain around your ankle. And the same thing is true in your life. You have a lid. Every one of us do. There's something that's keeping you from doing what you know you should be doing. It's a weight that holds you down. It's a distraction or a bad habit that, that kind of slows you down. It's a sin that trips you up. It, it's a bad habit. It's a, it's a bad spirit. It's, an, it's just an attitude. It's something that isn't pleasing to God, and you can't seem to overcome it. And tonight, I just want to say, last service of 2020, it's time to identify your lid and determine a plan to attack your lid. Let's, let's make some real change this year. Notice if in Hebrews 12, uh, when it's talking about the race, it says, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. You know, it doesn't say, go to a 12-week self-help course so you can figure out how to conquer your sins. You know what it does? It says, it says lay it aside. Lay aside the weight, lay aside the sin. It's really that simple. There's no magic formula. You know what you have to do tonight? You just have to decide, I'm going to lay aside the weights. I'm going to lay aside the sin. I'm going to lay aside the lids tonight. I'm going to identify them and attack them because I want to reach the promised land. You want to reach the promised land? You might have a lid that's keeping you from being there. But if God has given you big plans and he's given you every resource, that also includes the ability to overcome the lids. He wants you to fulfill his purposes. He's giving you the resources. And it's all dependent on how you treat your lids. Have you grown accustomed to the height you've always jumped to? Like the flea in the jar? Say, I've been doing it this way for 20 years. It's not going to change. No, it should be God that defines your spiritual heights. Not your lids. Not your past. Not your limitations. Because God says with God all things are possible. Don't end 2021 where you started. If you do nothing else this year, what I'm asking you to do is identify your lid and determine a plan to attack it. Trust the provisions God has provided as well.
He's given you his word. He's given you his power. He's given you his people, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let 2021 be the year that our lids are removed and we finally gain victory, enter the promised land, be like Christ, do all we're supposed to do for the Lord. Let let 2021 be that year. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.